Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you tonight? Fabulous. We've had a seven-degree day, lots of wind, but gosh, it was beautiful. Felt Ah. so good to be warm again. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for those days. You know, it hasn't been too bad here today. I think it might have hit 40, but... Tonight it's going to be very cold, and tomorrow night it'll make its way up all the way to 13 degrees. So I am very excited to hear that you have warm weather, and I'm hoping we'll see some next week. So it's the best we can do here in New England. Seems like forever for it to get here. Of course, the wind (laughs) everywhere in crazy California throughout here. It's been a little disastrous on the road, I understand. There's been quite a few uh, problems because of the wind, but... Yeah. Outside of that, I could go sit on the back patio in the sunshine, and it felt so good. Ooh, I can't wait. Can't wait for those days here. So tell us, what's going on with the numbers? We have had such a wild ride, and I don't know. Is it going to continue? We're into March now. Oh, this month is going to be a wild ride. You have to remember the most important thing to keep thinking about. The umbrella that we're under is the five universal year, which is all about major changes good to bad, bad to good, but nonetheless has a luck factor to it. This month is an eight month, which deals with finances, wanting to be in control, putting things in order, quote, tax time, all that good stuff is going on. But the thing that's really good about it is we have no retrogrades this month. Everything looks in very good shape, shall we say. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities to make some major changes. If you have any extra cash, you may want to invest this month because there's a lot of good things taking place, a lot of opportunities that will increase your your finances, also give you an excellent opportunity of any aspect where the material side goes. Think in terms of cash and carry that's going to be the big thing this month. And being in charge and being in control, and of course, like I say, it's tax time on top of it, but if we work with that, it's going to end up being a pretty decent month. Well, that's good. Well, happy to hear that. Maybe we're off the roller coaster a little bit. Well, the thing is, know that there's a bit of a luck factor going with the month. So even regardless of what your personal stuff is, this is a good month to take a bit of a flyer on things. So if you have, a, like I said, if you've got a few extra pennies, you want to invest it, fine. Or if you want to put it aside so you're guaranteed it for later, by all means do so. Because the key is be patient about what you're doing and know that the financial gains are going to be there, hopefully, other than just a stimulus check. All right. That's a, <laughs> well, that's a good thing. 
That's a good thing. People have been tight for cash and, and have out of work for a long time, so maybe I'm there will sure. be some opportunities coming their way. It will be very welcome, I'm sure. Definitely so, it will. You know that I've been introducing the Gravivoy code numbers mm-hmm. to people, and right. we've been using the unexpected money and things like that. I've given out a few codes for people to try and had some stories coming back. So I heard from three listeners that they had unexpected money show up, and they used the numbers. So it's working. So I want to encourage people to use them again, and I had it happen to me. I know we were talking about this the other day. About 14 years ago, I went to purchase a camera online, and this is before Amazon, and there were just random people offering special deals. I wanted to buy a video camera and take it out to Arizona and shoot some B-roll. So I sent the money in to this person, and they never sent me the camera. It was very disappointing, to say mm-hmm. the least. So Definitely. I rep- reported him to Computer Crimes Division, and they pursued it. The problem was that he didn't have a job. They couldn't attach the money uh, owed to me. But they said if things changed, they would be doing that, and they'd make sure I got paid back. So at that time, I think I got couple hundred dollars and I followed up there was a very nice lady in the office and we became friends and I talked to her for a couple years and then I forgot about it well I started working with the Gravivoy code for unexpected money and on Saturday my husband comes in from getting the mail and says hey you got a U.S. treasury check and I was shocked I was like well what was that for so I look at the check And sure enough, there is the money that was owed to me from this person for the camera. It was almost $1,500 out of the blue after all this time. So I was thrilled, pleasantly surprised. I bet (laughs) Yes. So I want to encourage everybody out there, please use these codes. They work. I mean, this is such a an unusual and random event that came my way. I'm very grateful for that. And, again, it was so unexpected. There's my unexpected money. So use the code, please, people. The codes work. And let me just tell you a little bit more about these numbers because according to Gravavoy himself, it is possible to master the technology of event control by using metal concentration and through the sacred codes to achieve the understanding of the dynamic processes of external events and of the universe, which is made of numbers. That's how this works. So that everyone can control creative processes and physical manifestations by using consciousness and soul which fulfills the role of control factor. So you can also regenerate and heal anything at a cellular level. So very exciting stuff, and I want to encourage everybody to keep sending us your stories on what's happening and what's changing in your life. So someone asked for a code for love. So here it is. It is 888 one two eight 
888-419-9018. Again, that is 888-412-128-9018. And also people were asking for more codes for money. So here is one for the immediate flow of money. Four two six four nine nine. Again, that's four two six four nine nine. And if you didn't hear the shows the last couple of weeks, what you do with these numbers is you can write them down, you can put them in your wallet, you can put them under your pillow. You want to write them and place them right side up. And some people feel that if you want to visualize them, visualize them in silver. That That's a very, very powerful way to use these numbers. If you have any questions, send us, send us a question in email. We're around and we'll answer it for you. And if you have any requests, then send those along too. So lots of fun with those numbers. And well, the other thing I want to mention... I was going to say, it's amazing how these things do work out if you take the time to really look into it. And I think well, that's been yeah. very good with you putting these out and giving people an opportunity to say that. And we were just talking about the fact that this month is all about money. So Yeah, so here your, you go, yeah. folks. Just give it a try and spend some time on it. It's It's a nice way to focus. And it's a nice way to draw the monkey mind back into focusing on something that will actually help you. The other thing I wanted to mention is we've got a lot of great stories on our Facebook page because, again, more and more UFO sightings, uh, mm-hmm. more sightings over aircraft, where pilots are reporting them. And also a troubling article that I read and I also posted, because you all should be aware of this, if you think that just conservatives are being censored you're wrong because i just saw the article and it's on the facebook page that in europe they are going to try to silence anybody talking about ufos so this is now out of the realm of republican versus democrat or conservative versus liberal now we're talking about silencing people who want to talk about things like ufos and aliens they Mm -hmm. don't want anybody to be able to legally talk about it. That's crazy. But well, it is this definitely is, crazy. And I think it's very yeah. important if we don't get things out there and share them, we're all going to be, like, locked down in a box. Nothing's ever going to happen. That's right. And I was talking to a friend of mine who came from the Czech Republic, and she came to the United States to get away from communism. And... I said, how does this compare now that we have a change of administration? And she said, this is so much worse than communism. She said, it's so much worse what's going on in this country. She's horrified because, again, she came to get away from this kind of thing. But, again, when I saw this article, I thought everybody needs to know about this, everybody who loves the paranormal. And we come to the show to discuss this with our audience and to interact with wonderful authors and experts in every field in the paranormal, and to hear that now they're going to come in, be coming after people like us who talk about this, it, it's very frightening. This cannot continue. So it's, it's, it's growing, unfortunately, like a disease. And just be aware, everybody. Speak up. 
you don't want it to happen. So, we have a great guest tonight. He is absolutely brilliant. He's written a brilliant book called Dark Light Consciousness. We are going to be talking about so many fascinating things with him tonight. Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum is here with us, and he's going to tell us all about the ancient Egyptian neuroscience, biochemistry, how all of this dark matter and light applies to our lives today. The power is within us to activate and connect with a high level of the superconscious mind. But how do we do it? We are going to find out. Now, Dr. Bynum is a clinical psychologist, the director of behavioral medicine at the University of Massachusetts Health Service in Amherst. Now, he's a student. I'm going to mispronounce this name, so I'm not even going to try. (laughs) He's a student of Swami Saraswati, and a winner of the Abraham H. Maslow Award from the American Psychological Association. He is the author of many books. He's actually been on the show before talking about dreaming. He has a new book coming out in three months, The African Unconscious, and he lives right here in Massachusetts. So we have got to get him on the show. I'm going to bring his mic up so he can actually talk to us, and that would be a good thing. So, Dr. Bynum, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be back. Great to be back. I'm getting well, excited about what you. we're going to be doing tonight. Well, this is exciting, and this book is, is absolutely brilliant, and we're hoping we're going to be able to understand all of the things you've written because they are quite fascinating and complex, but I know you're going to help us to understand what well, you have written about. So we can't wait to hear from you tonight. So where well, should we start? Actu- Well, actually, we should start with uh, the fact that it's actually, deep down, very simple. I mean, uh, I I have written this in the context of of a psychologist uh, uh, with an interest in explaining how things are happening from the position of a psychologist and and also uh, given the medical and physical background of all of this. But all of this is actually quite simple. Everyone here listening tonight already knows about this. What do I mean by that? We're talking about what's referred to often in, in different places as, as the spiritual energy. And ever since we've been around as a species for at least 200,000 years in our present form, uh, we have been aware that in addition to the physical world and the mental world, there's also an energy and a spiritual world that, that's around us. And, you know, our our ancient ancestors, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, we were hunter-gatherers, you know, we lived in the forests and in the savannas and everything and came across wild animals and we lived in fear of them. We gathered food, you know, but we we recognized that these these animals had power and that there were lights up in the sky that had power and the, the trees and the ocean seemed to have a certain kind of power. And then we lived on and on for another more thousands and thousands of years until we started, like, uh, planting crops. You know, we discovered that if we, you know, uh, put things in the ground, they would come back up the next year. And that's how agriculture began. Mm-hmm. And when that began, we started having the idea, you know, when things are put in the ground, when things die, so to speak, they, like, come back. And we started having our first early, 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 sophisticated thoughts about uh, not just 
power and spirit, but about birth and rebirth. And this occurred. This was occurring during the time when the world was mostly a matriarchal world. What do I mean by that? It means that uh, most things were organized around the family, and the family was primarily a female unit. It wasn't a male unit. It was a female unit. And this phenomenon that we're talking about is called uh, the spiritual energy of Kundalini was actually discovered by our ancestors during those early ages in which the matriarchal systems all around the earth were dominant. And this was really? about... Oh, yeah, came up out until of about... the matriarchal system. That's fascinating. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. and, and so that, that, that earliest sophisticated notion of a spiritual energy is a female concept. It is a, comes out of the female culture. And uh, when it was first named as Kundalini, I mean, by the ancient uh, folks of India, and then the Uraeus by the ancient folks of, of uh, uh, ancient Egypt, uh, it was a divine feminine. It was the divine feminine energy. And it got more and more sophisticated as people began to experiment with it. And out of that experimentation emerged yoga about, about 6,000 years ago, the earliest signs we have of yoga. And it was around the worship of uh, this energy, and then it got really sophisticated with the ancient Egyptians because they knew about um, uh, mummification. So they knew a lot about the body, you know, a lot about the body, the physical body. And mm-hmm. they began to look and see where did this energy sort of emerge in the body because people knew by doing the various spiritual practices, it has something to do with energy moving along the spine. Everybody kind of felt that, you know. They felt energy moving along the spine, that that sensation that all of us get when we get a tingle along our spine, well, that's sort of like a little, um, a little zap of that, a little uh, tech, uh, 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 stimulation of that. Well, they learned how to, to turn that into a force that you could sort of, uh, sort of uh, harness, much like, uh, much like it, uh, sparks a long time ago were noticed uh, uh, coming out of wool or lightning out of the sky or sparks, and then uh, uh, it got turned into um, uh, uh, electricity, electrostatic stuff, and then it was combined with magnetism, and then eventually we had electromagnetism, and that was harnessed. And so now you, turn, you walk into a room, you turn on a switch, and the light, there's light. That's electromagnetism. Well, they learned how to do that with the spiritual energy of Kundalini and the Uraeus. And that is what it is, it is at the base. It is the origin of all of our different spiritual practices. And again, all of them came out of the matriarchal era that was beginning to die out around 2,000 years before Christ, uh, when the patriarchy came in and sort of suppressed all of those matriarchal religions. But that was the dominant religion uh, for our species from at least 150,000 years ago from the, the, the what's called the DNA, mitochondrial DNA, mother of humanity, Eve. Um, she was a DNA phenomenon. I'm not talking about the Eve of the Bible. I'm talking about all of our gene pools crossed in one female about 150,000 years ago in the savannas of Africa. She's called the mitochondrial DNA, mother of humanity, Eve, you know. And... Uh, but that was, that was the dominant spiritual paradigm, and it only ended about 2,000 years before Christ when, uh, you know, the patriarchy was overthrown by the patriarchy. 
and, and and we see what the result of that has been. Yeah, so, um, we sure do. So, yeah. So, but we're it's beginning to be rebalanced of necessity because if we don't rebalance it, we're not going to make it as a species. We know that the pollution of the earth, the skies, that's all a, a, a patriarchal dominant over nature thing, literally, a literally dominate mother nature psychology. And that's the patriarchy. Well, it and, is. Uh, and it's also, it also goes into this whole thing of not wanting us to explore this type of power, this type I of know. experience, right? I know. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's, very, it's a mysterious energy, you know, and it's very powerful. Back in the ancient, ancient times, you know, the great mysteries were uh, uh, the mysteries of birth, you know, and uh, men and women, but especially men, were the males were fascinated because we didn't know necessarily where uh, uh, the relationship between uh, copulation and um, uh, children came from, but we knew that children came out of female bodies. And so that became the first religions. And so, you know, sacred uh, uh, caves, uh, places that symbolized a female, those were the sites of the early religions. They were all around the earth. And uh, so that's, that is what was dominant until about 2,000 years before Christ. And then, uh, then it went underground. It was, it was suppressed. It was suppressed. But it's beginning to be dark, uh, balanced again today. But this book, Dark Light Consciousness, is about how this manifests in our physical bodies. I mean the literal spiritual energy of our physical bodies. You know, within us, each one of us has the potential to activate a really a personal connection to what we in psychology and psychiatry and um, other branches call a superconscious. You know, there's an unconscious mind, which we're all aware of. There's a conscious mind, but there's also a superconscious mind. And that's the source that we have that creates inspiration, great art, great insight, and uh, luminous perceptions of things, be they uh, religious, be they scientific or whatever. But it's that particular level of the, level of the mind, a superconscious level. Well, all of us, everybody listening to this, has the innate capacity to do that. And harnessing that spiritual power um, in a scientific, clinical, and repeatable way uh, is what this book is about. And so I go to great lengths to try and explain how this happens, not only physically, but also what the, what the material and the biochemical and the medical basis for this is, you know? Um, well, it's a very exciting topic, and there, there are so many people that come to our show that are fascinated, especially by Kundalini. Yet yes, there yes. doesn't seem to be a clear path to achieve this type of consciousness. So how do you do it? I know well, meditation, yoga, those are the usual things, but a lot of people say, gee, I'm still not there yet. You know, I've been practicing yoga well, for not, 10 years or whatever. Well, a lot, a lot of it's, uh, it's, well, first of all, it's not uh, easy, uh, but it is certainly doable. But here in the States, uh, United States and, and much of Europe, we identify uh, 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 meditation and yoga with relaxation. And right. that's not all. I mean, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, 
You know, I've been disappointed uh, many times by watching different yoga teachers who are very nice, very good, and they know their stuff in terms of the physical culture of yoga, but rarely do they talk about the meditation. They just say meditate, but they don't say what that means. They don't say That's what that true. means. Yeah. You know, they, they, and there, and there, there are levels or rungs they're calling yoga. The early rungs, the beginning stages are, you know, what to do, what not to do, the yamas and the yamas, you know, do's and don'ts, which are absolutely necessary. And then there's the physical culture. In other words, learning how to, how to what those uh, yoga postures and so on. And then some uh, early breathing techniques. And those are all to kind of get yourself steady and calm the mind and, and balance. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that's as far as many of these yoga teachers go. They don't talk about or explore the other rungs, the other levels. They don't tell you how to learn how to, first of all, concentrate. Well, what does that mean? Concentrate, it means how to keep your mind in a general zone, a general area. That's what concentration is. And there are different techniques for learning how to concentrate. And then, after learning how to concentrate, which is no easy task, learning how to really concentrate, the next level after that is called contemplation. What is contemplation? That means keeping, after you've learned how to keep your mind generally pretty focused in, in a specific narrow place, you begin to then focus on what it is that you're focusing on. In other words, um, contemplate. Uh, a, a simple example would be uh, you learn how to concentrate on a candle flame. Okay, and it takes, it takes years. It's not easy. It takes years. You learn how to concentrate on a candle flame. After you learn how to keep your mind mostly there, say 50% of the time, which is difficult, 50% of the time, then you begin to contemplate the candle flame. What does contemplation mean? It means you start noticing that the flame is, the flame is energy, the flame is light, the flame is illumination, you begin to get all the different associations to the light of the candle. And then after a while, an interesting process happens over time that you begin to fuse your mind with what you are thinking about all in the same process. The knower and what is known get integrated together in the process of knowing. And that's, you stay with that, and after a while, that disappears until you have what's called samadhi, or enlightenment. So there's a, it's, a, it's a definite science. It's nothing random about it. It's just that most of our teachers won't or don't teach that. Well, uh, in the dark light consciousness, I try to go step by step in a very, you know, matter-of-fact basic, medically grounded way of how to do that. And if you commit yourself to it, anybody can do it. Why? Uh, the great yogis, uh, be they uh, Buddha, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the really superheroes of our species, their bodies were the same as yours and mine. <laughs> their physical brains were the same as yours and mine. The difference was not necessarily not so much a matter of intelligence, but a matter of staying with it, of discipline. And that's why, the, you know, you, people do it. it. It takes a long time, but, you know, I can't think of anything more 
phenomenal to experience. And the few times that I've been able to experience it, because I don't experience it all the time, believe me, uh, when I have, it has radically, radically changed my perception of things. So um, it's in what well way? Like how how has it affected you in terms of your perception? And, and also, has it affected anything else, like your health and vitality? What effect yes. does it well, have my, on you? It, it, it's had, it has had an extremely good effect on my physical health in terms of my, uh, my physical health and my, my clarity of mind, um, but also in terms of how I perceive things. Let me, let me give you a really concrete example. Let me give you a yeah, really concrete example. Many of you listening to this have had the, the experience of um, becoming conscious while you're dreaming. Now, it, it may have happened in a, in a disciplined sort of way, but most of this happens in kind of a happenstance sort of way. But you become aware that you're dreaming. You know, you're dreaming about this or that, and all of, all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, this is a dream I'm having. And it's a nice experience. It feels physically very good. But you're just aware that, hmm, there's another level of reality here. Well, some people learn how to intentionally become conscious of their dreaming. There are lots of different techniques for it. It's called lucid dreaming. There are lots of different ways of doing it. But the point I'm trying to make here is they become conscious that they are dreaming. And then, for those who stay with it, and you can find this uh, talked about in great detail in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, Bardo Frodal, the Egyptian book of Coming Forth by Day. I mean, it's, it's sort of a psychological manual for this written thousands of years ago. There's nothing new about it. But anyway, some people are able to learn how to be, when they are conscious in their dreams, to begin to meditate, to begin to meditate when you're dreaming. And when that's happened, and for me that's only, ha- it's only happened really a, a few dozen times in my whole life, but it's well worth it. Believe me. But anyway, so when this focus, happens to you, you feel connected to all things and all well, let me, energies yes. let me around give you. A very con- let, me, let me give you a literally con- a concrete example. This has happened and becoming conscious that I'm dreaming and then begin to meditate within the dream. When that happens, when that happens, everything dissolves into intense, intense, radiant, living light and when you come out of it you're very aware that everything around you is made out of light now we all kind of know that theoretically because we know that E equals MC squared Einstein you know Mm -hmm. Uh, everything is made out of light and people just sort of yeah yeah everything's energy but it's kind of like an intellectual notion but when you actually experience it you realize that you are, your, your physical body is a sheath, it's a shell. It's a beautiful one, you enjoy it, but it's an illusion that there's a radiant background behind all of this, this literally light that is neither born nor can it die. And it's enormously, intensely intelligent. It's like, it's like the light that people talk about when they have these near-death experiences and they are clinically dead for a while, and they go through a long tunnel of one form or another, and then they come upon a great being, 
If they're Christians, they'll see Christ. If they're Buddhists, they'll see the, the Ada Buddha. If they're Hindus, they'll see Krishna. If they're Native Americans, they'll see the Great Spirit. It doesn't matter what the name of it is. The point is you come into the presence of a radiant, intelligent being of light, and you are totally exposed to this being who knows everything about you, including your present life, your past lives, all your motivations, and sees directly into your luminous spirit. Kind of like that. Wow. That's the best description I can give you. But you, you, yeah, it's profound. You experience that, that. You experience that once or twice in your life, and it's like, okay, I get why <laughs> I'm here. I get it. What a blessing. And and this is available to everybody. It's available to everybody. And I try in dark light consciousness to explain the medical, physical, and psychological basis for that. You know, just medically speaking, the surface of our brains are covered in a dark living matter, and it's called neuromelanin. Not the melanin of the skin. That's a whole different thing. I'm talking about the melanin in our brains, okay? Mm-hmm. And the melanin in our brains which, by the way, our brains aren't dark because it's exposed to the sun. No, they're dark because they absorb light. It absorbs light. If you go, if you go out to the street in, in, in the summertime, uh, asphalt street in the summertime, it's hot. And it's hotter than the grass around it on the, on the, or the trees or something. Why? Because it's, it's, it's very dark. And the darkness absorbs sunlight. It makes it hot. Okay? That's absorbing light. Well... Right. Our brains on the surface are covered with this neuromelanin. And critical areas inside of our brain core, which I go into in the book in detail, critical areas of our, of our um, um, cerebral cortex and inside of it, our limbic system, have these intense areas where we have this dark living matter. Okay? And then it goes all the way down into the brain, uh, down to the base of the brain, and then when it gets to the brain uh, stem, it reverses and down goes down to the center of the brain. So the surface of your brain and then the very center, the center center of your spinal cord, almost all the way down to the base, is this brain matter all the way down. And it gets stimulated in various kinds of uh, experiences, particularly certain kinds of spiritual experiences. You know, that's why yoga is all about, uh, in many ways, stimulating not only the brain, but the spinal cord. And you find that also in Taoism. You find it in just about every form of meditation. Uh, but it's about learning how to stimulate it in various kinds of ways. And that's what our spiritual disciplines, you know, try and help us do. But that's what the Kundalini is. So all of you listening right now, you have a direct experience of it. It may be very brief uh, when you have an intense uh uh, love for something, uh, and you're, or you're swept away by ecstasy in one form or another, that's a little tickling of that phenomena. Now imagine, instead of it being in sparks here and there, you actually harness it so that you can use it like you use electromagnetism to turn on the light in a room. That's the difference. And this is the inheritance of every human being. There are no, there are no racial, sexual, class, financial differences. This is the inner, and this is the inheritance of all, all of us, all human beings. And we've been carrying this with us for at least 150 to 200,000 years. 
Yes, we have. It's an amazing and, power, and yet we've been directed away from it by yes, our own we have. culture. We, we have. We have. We uh, we get it. We get we get the message. Not it's not too subtle, too. That, you know that this particular kind of knowledge is considered wrong or evil by certain powers that be. I mean, what's the central story in the Bible in the Garden of Eden? You know, Adam gets an apple from Eve, from uh, the tree of knowledge. He eats it. Bam! Whoa! Get out of here! <laughs> right. <laughs> Throwing you out. Right. Uh-huh. Get yeah. the message? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. But so there's a, as you well know, as you, as you talked about in the beginning of the program, there's lots of knowledge and information out there that people kind of know about, but we get the message that it's taboo, you know, that we shouldn't be asking those kind of questions. And if we do, we can get ourselves into trouble. But the, the knowledge is going to come out sooner or later. It is coming out sooner or later, including the, para, the paranormal knowledge and also the knowledge about our visitors from the stars. It's there. Right. It's going to come out. Yeah. It's out. It's already out there. It's out. Some countries right. are better at it than others. Yeah, some countries exactly. are more open about it than others. But it's there. It's there. It sure. definitely is. Definitely is. And you know what? And you know what? Mostly it's friendly. That's comforting, That's good. I'm oh. sure, for yeah. most people to hear, because we've heard both sides of the fence on the show. But yeah, I agree with you, and I know PK, you do too. That it's it is mostly positive, and that's all all good. And apparently, a lot of people have been contacted or have had sightings recently for the first time in their yeah. lives. So a lot more of it is being shown. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why now. I can guess, but I don't really know why now. But even I, I was watching uh, television, uh, just a regular television uh, news show. Uh, you know, maybe it was NBC or CBS, something, one of those, uh, two nights ago, and they announced it right there on the, on the air. They said, uh, uh, Amer- uh, you know, a, uh, an airplane, passenger airplane was flying somewhere out in the, in the west, and uh, a long cylindrical object yeah. appeared and, and trailed them for a long period of time, and it just yeah, stayed right. with them. And then they just left it. <laughs> so I yeah. think this is the way the government, I think this is the way the government... Is trying to slowly get us ready. I really do. Trying well, I to think slowly get us ready. I, I think you're right, and but I also think it's the way the government is still trying to control it and own it, as if they have anything over it. On top right. of it, and, it's there. Right. They're going to control the narrative even now. But you know, there's too many cell phones with cameras. They really can't that's do right. that. Well, anymore. you know, it's not. Yeah, you can't do it anymore. But you know what? It wasn't to- that's not uh, uh, it wasn't totally a bad uh a way at the beginning to approach it. I mean, uh, imagine uh it's 19 uh 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 48 when the first sightings were seen mm-hmm. confirmed, I should say. And um uh the government gets this information. If they had turned around and announced that there would have been cultural panic all across the earth. So I think that they because remember when H.G. Uh, uh, well, uh, I mean, um, yeah, War of yeah. the World, War of the World, yeah, War of the World, and that was that was like a radio spoof, you know? Yes, it, or it terrified people. It terrified mm-hmm. people. So I think the government said, you know what, this stuff is real. Let's 
slowly introduce it to the population over, you know, a good 50 whatever years it is, 50, 60, whatever it is, years, so people could slowly get used to the idea. So now they've been doing that. We've had motion pictures and and, uh, sightings and shows and uh, TV shows about outer space, so on and so forth. So now when it finally is going to be released and told at some point, people will say, yeah, I kind of always knew, but they won't be so terrified. They won't be so terrified. Well, small doses for a long time. But I think with all the differences of cell phones and whatever, people are more open to things taking place. Exactly. Exactly. We can't hide it anymore. It's definitely here. It's definitely yeah. here. And, uh, and, and, and I it, think and it, also people are so tired of being lied to by the government and many of our institutions in general. So there's so much right. tolerance for any of that. Right. And the mainstream media is not trusted. They're, they're seen as the enemy by most people. Right. And so right. a lot of that has all switched around on them given their narratives that they've chosen to inflict on uh, on everyone so it's it's everything has changed rapidly in that way and again i have to say that yeah maybe people would have flipped out way back when but they would have they won't today they won't flip out today they certainly wouldn't no no they would sort of say yep i kind of knew that i kind of knew it i i kind of knew it you know and they won't be so scared so it's going to happen but this this Mm -hmm. phenomena has been Human beings have been experiencing this for thousands and thousands of years, you know, uh, and, and, and particularly if, for those who have a, a consciousness that is open to it, uh, uh, they're more receptive to it. And part of the, the reason for a spiritual practice of whatever your kind that you like is to sort of prepare yourself for a, for a widespread spiritual awakening across uh, the globe of many peoples. It's going to happen. It happens. Mm-hmm. always happens in isolated incidents. You know, you get a group of people or a few individuals who are who awaken to this for one set of reasons and causes or, or another, and then they, you know, fade out, and that's fine. Um, but I think that the, the more uh, spiritual consciousness there is informed by science, informed by an awakened science, allows us to communicate about this and Part of the dark light consciousness is to give much of the phenomenon of, of uh, quote, higher consciousness, unquote, a physical, medical, and scientific uh, background. So as a consequence, you know, I, I, I talked at times about um, some uh, discussion of uh, the sciences of quantum mechanics and relativity and some biochemistry and some medicine, medical things, all in the context, however, uh, for talking about this, what's called serpent power, which is the energy that moves along the spine, up into the brain, illuminating parts of the brain, so that our third eye is open, transcendent, and we go beyond that. And there's a medical basis for all of this. It's not like pie in the sky. There is. Talk a little bit, if you would, about Uraeus, because ancient Egyptians were so advanced. They understood the power of everything you're talking about with us tonight. They mastered it. So Yes, they did. This was an amazing culture from thousands of years ago. How did they it figure was, this all they, out? 
Yeah, and and again, it wasn't uh, it wasn't everybody. It was it was a small priestly class within Egypt. There were select women and men who were uh, brought into the priesthood who were trained to 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 uh, awaken this spiritual uh, energy. Uh, the uh, the crown of the of the pharaohs. Uh, it, it represented uh, a, a they have it represented as a, as a sort of like a serpent coming out of the middle of the uh, forehead. And that's a representation of that awakened energy through the pineal gland coming out and, uh, and uh, seeing into the world. They called it uh, the uh, all-seeing eye. Well, I should say, take it back. Um, that was the eye of, um, of right. um, Horus in Egypt, and it was the all-seeing eye of Tibet in Tibet. Okay, but it, was, it represents the pineal gland, that gland that sits between both hemispheres of the brain and descended somewhat. It's referred to as the, um, the source of the third eye. And the reason they say that is that, you know, the pineal gland, millions of years ago among the mammals, used to sit on the higher part of the brain. And then through evolution, it sort of descended deeper into our brains. And so now it's deeper into our brains uh, between the, uh, the hemispheres of the brain, um, but it remains photosensitive. It is sensitive to light. It responds. It's photoactive. And when the kundalini energy, the uraeus energy is stimulated, it makes its way up. And when it joins with the pineal gland, uh, you literally, quote, see within, unquote, there's some section I, I wish I knew the exact section in the in the Bible in the New Testament somewhere, but uh, Christ says something to the effect of, "When the eye is single, the body is full of light. Hmm? When the eye is single, one focus, the body is full of light." Well, that's a that's a methodology, and that's when you do different kinds of meditation. It's about it's about focusing the mind so that the mind is single. So that when the mind is single long enough, light spreads through it. That's essentially what it is. And the neuromelanin, because it's uh, light sensitive, is the ideal biochemical transducer of that. That's all it is. It's a biochemical transducer in that. But it's in your brain. It covers the top of your brain and it's down the center of your spine. Now, in your book, you talk about the pineal gland also resonating uh, back and forth with the pituitary gland, right? And then yes. that also yes. sets up an electromagnetic force. That's fascinating. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. When you, when you, uh, when you uh, find a, uh, a posture that you like, that's comfortable for your body, and you coordinate that with your breathing over a long enough period of time, it begins to interface with the beating of your heart, which is usually around 7.6 hertz per second or multiples of that when you're in a deep meditative trance state. Well, what that does is it sends planes of vibration, that we'll call them, up through the brain casing and through the brain. When our brain, the brain, the physical brain, the actually our physical brains are kind of like made out of a gel, kind of substance. They have a gel sort of substance. And when it's made to vibrate, the heart rate is made to vibrate in the brain casing, it makes that gel sort of vibrate 
Mm-hmm. And when it vibrates, it, it sends what's called standing waves through your brain and bouncing off the pineal gland and so forth. And it's, what, it's a phenomenon called the piezoelectric effect. And what it does essentially is it converts physical mechanical energy. It's just a physical principle, piezoelectric effect. It translates physical energy into electric energy. And it begins to make that whole thing vibrate. And it, it vibrates in the electromagnetic uh, bandwidth. And when it does, it changes consciousness. It changes consciousness. And then that is then made to coordinate with the same vibration between the surface of the earth and the ionosphere. Well, then you get entrainment. And that is, that is when people go into this profound, profound uh, trances. And I believe that in the future we're going to be able to harness that for healing. I really do. That would be way, wonderful. Way in the future. I Definitely. believe we're going to be able to do that, yeah, in the future. But that is the, that is the potential that, that we all have. Every one of us listening uh, has equal access to that. Now, we had somebody on the show a few years back, and when she had a Kundalini experience, it was quite, she was quite unprepared for it. And right. she said it felt like her blood was on fire. So there right. are times that things like that can happen. I'm sure you've well, heard those they experiences, happen, too. Well, they happen when the person is not prepared. They happen when the person is not prepared. It, it, it's like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you wouldn't, uh, if, if, if there was a, uh, a, 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 a wire, electrical wire uh, that broke off, or, or, or I should say a wire that wasn't covered, electrical wire that wasn't covered in your house, you wouldn't just go grab it and try and, you know, fix it with your fingers because you know there's a current going through there. Yes. And that would be dangerous be for you to do that. That's right. <laughs> right. So you yeah. want to be prepared for that. Well, that's what that's what the whole uh, early phases of a spiritual discipline do. The, the do's and don'ts, the postures, the breathing, and knowing what channels the energy moves through the body. What what they they call uh, not. Uh, uh, nadis, but they're kind of like pathways through which the energy moves, and there are there are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. But there are three major ones, and part of the uh, spiritual practice of Kundalini Yoga or Raja Yoga or Hatha Yoga uh, and many others, Taoism, is to learn what the pathways the energy goes. To learn how to gently sort of make it curve this way and then curve that way, so it can safely come up through, just like you would do with the, uh, with the electric current. You would uh, make sure that the wire is covered, that you're using correct instruments, and that you know what the energy can do so it, it can be done safely. And that's why I spent perhaps a little bit obsessively but preparing people in dark light consciousness for that so that they, you, know, you don't get hurt because it can be very destabilizing. It can be very destabilizing. So that's why you want to, you know, don't want to go at it sort of haphazardly. And by the way, the way we're talking about this is this is, this is the method that you do when you're sort of sitting and, and meditating. There are other ways of doing that that uh, people can get into when they go into a static dance. Okay? Some people, right. their pathway say is a static dance and drumming and beating of the feet. That can also stimulate it. When 
the only difference there is that when it's stimulated in that situation, yes, you can make, you can stimulate it, you can awaken it, and sometimes she will go all the way up. And this is she force, by the way. It can go all the way up, but when you stop that practice, it goes back down again. And what you want to do is have a practice that when you raise it, you keep it staying up, and that is that is one of the benefits of a of a different kind of meditative practice. But you know, to each his own. To each his own. Yeah. You got to find out what sure. works for you. Now, what about there are some swamis and gurus that have I've seen videos where they touch people on the forehead and it somehow seems to activate the kundalini energy. Yeah. How does that work? Yes, that that's Shaktipat. Yeah, there's a uh, some uh, very powerful teachers. Uh, the energy is awakened in them, and they know how to sort of guide it through their own bodies, and then by uh, a specific contact with a devotee who is prepared they can make that energy move through them. It's sort of like someone who's got, um, uh, sometimes in the wintertime, if it's, if it's cold out and uh, you're wearing wool uh, clothes and you walk across uh, another wool carpet or something like that, you can, make, uh, you can get electrostatic uh, shock. Mm-hmm. And if somebody touches you, they'll get the shock. Right. Right. Well, that's a, that's a really crude, very crude analogy to that sort of phenomenon. <laughs> but it's it's quite it's quite real. It's but it's quite a transmission, real. right? And it does yeah, work. It's a transmission. It's a transmission of the energy, and it, it only it only serves to uh, briefly awaken the energy. It will not lead to it finally uh, reaching its goal. And nobody ah. says it's going to either. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But what so can it's do? It's not really a sustained it's energy. It's it's just a one-time thing. Yeah, it's a one-time thing, but it is enough to initiate and to stimulate and to show the other person that this is this is real. Mm-hmm. This is real, and then you gotta you gotta pick it up and refine it and and carry on the work yourself. And they all they all say that. I, I haven't heard of any that say you know touch it you want and then you're enlightened. No, 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 no. It's kind of like uh, you know uh, a, a spark of the energy. Um, so, uh, where was it? Um, somewhere. Um, uh, I, I wish I knew the my Bible history better, but there's some place in the New Testament after Christ dies is, and he, he's resurrected. Okay, um, mm-hmm. he meets with the apostles somewhere. This is the story, Laura, and he teaches them and. Um, there is a descent of, quote, the Holy Ghost, and they speak in tongues, okay? Well, that is a bit about that Shakti pot. Oh. Yes. That's a bit. He gave them that power, that Shakti pot power, okay? Uh-huh. And, um, and certain, certain powerful uh, teachers today can do it. Um, but, again, it serves to initiate or stimulate, but that, it, it, it will not sustain it. You've got to work. It ain't, it's not free. You've got to work at it, but it, it is enough oftentimes for a person to realize, my God, this is real, and let me, you know, then they, they begin to work on it themselves after that. Yeah, I think it's very motivating <laughs> yes, for yes. people oh, yeah. to have that one-time oh, yeah. experience. Yeah, so in yeah. that way, it's, it's very positive. And I can see where it would take some doing, to get to the point where you can quiet your mind. It's not easy, especially in this country. 
It was no, so distracted no, by 50 billion things coming at us all the That's time. That's right. And That's right. It is. It's constantly. I mean, we we developed a culture where uh, uh, we now uh, identify people who can't stay with it as having ADD or ADHD. <laughs> uh, right. Two centuries ago, people didn't have ADD or ADHD. Because exactly. the culture didn't require us, didn't require uh, people, particularly boys, to sit in one spot for hours at a time and read a book and then regurgitate it. That was, that was a very small percentage of people did that. Most people didn't do that, and you didn't need to do it to, to have a good livelihood. And, and uh, most people, reading was, it was a, is a relatively new invention for our species, and then only a certain percentage of us did it. Most people didn't until the last 150 years or so. And, but since that time, uh, those of us who can't quite keep up with it get labeled as having ADD or ADHD. <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, our brains haven't changed in the last 200 years. Our culture right. has changed. So what's going on? Exactly. Um, it's, it's a, I think a lot of it is that. And for, when I talk to people, and we, hear, we hear from our audience about meditation. In this country, mm-hmm. it, a lot of people see it as something that's just too boring. So they don't want to do it. And right. they'd rather do something else that is more active. But you can do right. a walking meditation, right? I mean, you can you, take you a can walk and meditate while you medi- walk. You can do lots of things. The point of meditation is is, uh, is to quiet your mind. Meditation is is very informed of meditation. It, it, I think of it as just it's like detergent. That's all it is. It's to clean the mind so that what is beyond the mind can come. But it, the, the meditation is just to quiet your mind. Once your mind is quieted, then you can begin to attend to phenomena that's not necessarily completely the way your mind is, the way you're used to it. Let me give you a, a concrete example. A lot of okay. folks think that um, they are intelligent because they use uh, language and words. Okay, we've, we've come to the point where we identify intelligence with language and words. Okay, and that, that that makes us be able to understand things. And that's a lot of that is true. A lot of that is true. But for those of us who've had children, you or brothers and sisters that were younger than us that we took care of, we can remember a time before our child or sibling or whatever could talk, okay? They mm-hmm. communicated to us and they could think. Okay, but they weren't using language. But clearly they could think. Hmm? Right. And yeah, they could think and they had insights. Hmm? They didn't have they didn't have concepts the way that we have verbal concepts, but they had other kinds of concepts that didn't depend upon language. Hmm? Right. Well, when you when you learn how to meditate and quiet your mind enough you reach back down into that level of your mind that is intelligent without necessarily being totally clouded up with words. And for some people, that's, for a lot of people, that's really hard because a lot of people feel that when they're not surrounded, when their mind is not surrounded by words, they get anxious and nervous because what am I if I'm not thinking? 
Right. You know? I do feel that way, I think, a lot. And it's, again, it, it's a very difficult it is. culture that we live in that demands communication in a particular way. I mean, I'll give you an example That's of the right. other night when we had, you know, because you're living in the same area I live in, we had high winds. And right. it went on for oh, a good long time. It was like a day and a half. And it was interesting to me because I was just sitting in the house and I was, Everything was quiet, but I heard the wind. And for the first time ever, I heard the wind, if you know what I mean. I, yeah. I heard the wind, and it, it was a totally different experience than I've ever had before. There was a level of communication that was going on with the wind that I had never heard until then. Yeah. So that moment of quiet gave me that gift. And it yeah. was a totally different kind of communication, just very much like what you just described. Right. A little bit like right. Panamine. Right. Right. And that, that belongs to all of us. Everybody has the capacity to do that. But we have been, we've allowed ourselves to be seduced into thinking that there's only one way to be intelligent, and that is to have a lot of words and to, and to be a lot of, a lot of conceptual intelligence. Yes, that is intelligence. It's one expression of intelligence, but it's by no means the only one. And sometimes we can get, well, kind of get lost or confused because our minds are so cluttered that we can't see the mind clearly, you know? But so, yeah, so meditation. I, I, like, I like what you just detergent. said because it, it is a cluttering of the mind. That's a great, it's like we're hoarding. <laughs> That's right. We're hoarders That's in right. our mind. And it, it just doesn't leave any space for some of these other very powerful connections like you've described in your book. Now, one question I do have is about mantras. Do you feel that yes. that's helpful for people to use a yes, mantra it, when they meditate? Yes. Uh, and uh, the, the purpose for mantra, well, there are well, several purposes for mantra. Um, sometimes a, a, a mantra is used, it depends on your tradition, but sometimes a mantra is used, uh, for those of you who may not know, a mantra is a phrase um, or, 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 or a combination of phrases that are meaningful that you repeat over and over and over and over. Now, sometimes the mantra is given to you specifically so that your mind and the mantra fuse, including the meaning of the mantra, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, they, and they can be many different ones, you know. Um, and some people claim that the particular sound, the mantra itself, is is uh, is is has powerful effect, and it, and it can. But that's one tradition of mantra that is your mind fuses with the mantra, and to the point that you're not thinking of anything else other than this mantra, and that's to get your mind single pointed. That's one tradition, and it's great. There's another tradition, the mantra, is you say the mantra over and over and over and over until it gets to the point where you're saying it automatically. Then you're, the, the thinking part of your mind, the verbal part of your mind, gets bound up with the mantra such that the part of your mind that is not conceptual breaks away and can focus focuses otherwise. That's another tradition. So there are two traditions, and it kind of mm-hmm. depends on what your intuition is, where you kind of go. But the mantra can serve both purposes, and um, 
they can be very, very, very powerful. And, you know, a mantra can be something that you, you've read about. It can be one that's been given to you by a particular teacher or a tradition, or it can be one that you uh, make up on your own that is very deep and very personal. Every mantra should be simple. It shouldn't be complex. It should be simple. Uh, mantras such as uh, I and spirit are one. I and spirit are one. Something as simple as that. But you repeat it over and over and over until you get sucked into it and drawn into it until that becomes the reality you experience. And it's a way of making your mind one-pointed. That's, that is, that's its goal. That's its goal. So mantras are another form of, 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 of capturing attention. Think about it that way, of capturing attention. Because the root of the mind is attention. Yeah, Yeah, capturing attention. The root of the mind is R-O-O-T. The root of the mind is attention. And that is a way to capture the mind, to capture attention. And these are the kind of phenomena that you you, you learn about in in the rungs of yoga that are beyond the postures and the breathing. That is what your teacher should be teaching you about, about concentration, contemplation, the fusion of those two of concentration, contemplation in what's called samyama, where the, the, the observer, what's observed, get fused together in the process of observation, okay? And that inexorably mm-hmm. leads to various forms of samadhi, it's called. It's a natural process. It is a natural process. And everybody, we experience it, a cessation of the, of the mental state we all experience that briefly at night when we're in deep sleep without dreaming. When you are in deep sleep without dreaming and your mind is completely and totally and absolutely subsided, you are in a state that is uh, very difficult to communicate because there are no concepts. There are no concepts. Yeah, no but words you, for that. If somebody, there are no words for it, but if somebody woke you up at that very instant and they ask you what was your experience, you are more likely to say, uh, I don't have any thoughts, but I felt very peaceful. Very peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's been a lot of studies that have been done on meditation, and it's always very positive. We have all kinds of health benefits from that, physically and mentally. And they've done studies where they have groups of people meditating in high-crime areas, and the crime is reduced. I mean, there's, again, a lot of powerful things that come out of that. But you're taking us to a whole new level of sovereignty, of really being in a place of total awareness and where we have control over our reality and we see reality for what it really is. We're coming out of the matrix where we're being told what to do all the time. I think we're in the stage of the rebellious teenager not wanting to be told what to do, which is healthy, and now moving into a state like this where we take responsibility for developing these abilities, and this is major. I mean, this is why we like your book so much, because you're making everybody think about this whole new level of connection that we need to be responsible to and responsible for. 
it's a, just a total, complete, different feel when you go through what you've written, as opposed to what people were thinking prior. Yeah. Well, uh, it, 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 it's a matter of emphasis in the sense of uh, what I was trying to do and what I try to do certainly for myself is to reach those, those states of, 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 of quietness and bliss because it's not an illusion. It's not an illusion. Most of what we see in the world is an illusion. It's a useful illusion, but it's an illusion. It's, you know, it's what our, it's what our brains construct and what our perceptions we all agree on, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's necessary, but it's, it's largely an illusion. I mean, all of us, all of us agree on time, but nobody's ever seen any time. <laughs> nobody's ever tasted any. No one's ever measured it in a test tube, you know. It's an agreed-upon illusion, but it keeps our world ordered. The only gift that we can't do without. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's very necessary, but it, it is an illusion. And there are different cultures that experience time differently. Children, infants, experience time very differently than we do as adults. And in growing up, developing a, a, in early childhood, a child has to construct a theory of time. They're not born with a theory. They're not born with an understanding of time. They have to kind of like learn it, figure it out, and they construct it. They construct it. Yeah, this is famous psychologist, Jean Piaget, talked about how children construct a sense of time. <laughs> and then when we do deep meditation, you deconstruct your theory of time. Yeah, you well, do. You deconstruct your theory of time, and then you deconstruct your... Uh, you know, you know, you're, uh, uh, you, 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 I should say you don't deconstruct, you disconnect your thinking mind from the other level of your mind that's, that's intelligent and conscious. Mm. And then you begin to go into your native state, as the Buddhists say, the native state. Yeah, and it's real. It's more real than this, these things that we superimpose upon it. But that's the real state. These others are also real, but they're less ultimate. That's the ultimate state, and that's the state that you're going to return to when all of these illusions <laughs> disappear. And you leave your human form, and you enter into something else. So it's probably well, a good idea to become friends with that. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the ancient Egyptian priesthood. They're the ones that basically... All had ownership of this, even though everybody had the ability to. It was like they were the only ones that had it and used it. But right. I, I right. love what you're saying is that we all have this ability now. We all always did, all. but we have more permission than we've ever had to actually source it, to experience it. And right. What What about heart mass? Now that's an interesting way to meditate. Are you familiar with their work? That's the one where you uh, uh, slow down the heart rate? Is that the one? Well, it's the one where the, you synchronize it, so you're paying, again, more attention to your heart than you are yes. to your mind. So it's another type yes. of, of meditation. Yes, it's another kind of meditation. Meditation. Yes, I'm familiar with it. I mean, I, I, 
I remember see, actually seeing, reading an article about this just a number of years ago. Uh, but it, it is a different form of meditation, and it's focusing your, or centering your, your intelligence on your heart and making that the seat of your consciousness as opposed to uh, uh, your, your thinking mind. And it has enormous uh, health benefits, enormous physical health benefits, because most of our tension in the modern world is created by these uh, these pressures that we experience of, of working and and earning enough money to do this and that. I mean, those are all you know creations of our psyche. And uh, uh, by learning how to learning how to you know center more of ourselves on our heart as opposed to our uh, busy mind, uh, not only has benefits. Uh, to us psychologically, but also has benefits to us medically. I really admit, in terms of bringing down high blood pressure, um, uh, stressful conditions, including uh, some forms of, of the, well, I'll say it this way. Uh, people use it to treat high blood pressure, meditation, cardiac arrhythmias, um, and a number of other stress-related disorders. That's what I used to do at the university. I ran a, a behavioral medicine clinic. And that's what we did. We taught people how to uh, influence and control their, body, their mind and their bodies so that they uh, would not respond with migraine headaches, muscle contraction headaches, uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, colitis, lots of other stress either created or certainly stress magnified conditions. Yeah, it comes from a lot of these, how we interpret these external pressures and That's right. how we That's right. fold under them. Yeah. Right, and, and it, it has an effect It has an effect upon us medically. Those who are more relaxed and at ease before surgery statistically significantly have better outcomes. This is true. That makes sense. Makes sense. Yes, it's true. It's true. Now, when you uh, broke this down step-by-step step in your book, and I know you were describing the different ways people can do this, do you recommend that people meditate once a day, twice a day? What do you think is a good way to go or just whatever they want to do? No, I don't think you should do anything that you want to do. I think you should decide on a discipline and then stick with it. It's more important that you decide on a discipline and stick with it than the particular amount of it. In other words... If uh, it, it would be better if you meditated, uh, meaning meditating, meaning sitting quietly and not solve any problems, <laughs> sitting quietly <laughs> and not solve any problems for half an hour um, every day, then you uh, sit, try to sit for two hours once a week. Now, better. 20 minutes, half an hour, 20 minutes every day, quietly, sit there, and I mean it, sit there, focus on your breathing, and not solve any problems, not do a grocery list, not plan to make a phone call later, not get ready to take the dog out, not get ready to pay a bill, but just sit there and let your mind quiet down. That is better. 20 minutes a day over years than the other. Why? Because after a while, your body will get used to it and start developing a desire for it. 
your brain will start developing a desire for it. And then as it develops a desire for it, you begin to find that you will spontaneously do it every now and then in the middle of the day without any uh, stimulus. You just do it. And then gradually you start doing it more and more and more. It begins to develop a natural, healthy appetite for it. That's much better than a super ambitious, I'm going to sit down and meditate for an hour and a half every, you know, twice a week. No, 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 no. Steady diet. You know, the tortoise wins the race. Steady diet. Stay with it. Over years and years and years, it'll become your friend. It'll become a friend in a way that nobody else can quite do. This is wonderful. Much healthier. (laughs) Definitely does. Yeah, this is so important. And again, what it can lead to is Mm. this incredible awakening, which is our right. Your liberation. That's right. It is your birthright. It is your your inheritance and your birthright. And you don't have to be rich to do it. You don't have to be hyper-educated to do it. You don't have to have a fancy job to do it. You don't have to be a super athlete. You just have to decide that I want to do this for myself in this life. I want to do it. And then you stay with it. And you don't have to be perfect. Some days you're going to be better than others. Of course. Of course. Just stay with it. Stay steady. I'm in it for the long run. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in this marriage with myself no matter what. Good days, bad days. This is what this is the long haul. My friend through thick and thin. That is a much healthier approach and that is the approach that leads to success because sooner or later that calm, that conscious calm and peace will begin to spontaneously appear not only in the waking state, but it'll begin to appear in the dreaming state. And when it begins to appear in the dreaming state, you're beginning to wake up. Now, you've been meditating for how many years, Dr. Bynum? Oh, I would say uh, close to 40, I guess. Wow, goodness. You're inspiring. Yes, okay. I, now, I've got a question. It, yeah. Here, you mentioned that you've had uh, maybe a dozen experiences with kundalini, full-blown kundalini. Is there a way of sustaining that energy so it's with you full force all the time, or is that not possible? No, it's with me all the time. It's with me all the time at this point. It's just a matter of how intense it is. Like I, I, I'm you know, driving down the road on the highway, and it's there. I mean, all I have to do is, is, is focus my attention inward, and there she is. <laughs> you know, it's a physical sensation. I want, I want everybody here... To hear that, it's a physical. It's a physical thing. It's, it's not about uh, you know you imagining this or that. It is a physical sensation, and moves along the spine, you know, and um, and then you know all I have to do is close my eyes and just focus on my breathing for a little bit, and there she is. I mean, it's you know it's clear as day. Uh, but sometimes I'm in a situation where I'm able to like stay with it for 
a long period of time, and I can bring her all the way up to the top of. Well, she's already. How to say this? Um, it's always like a tiny uh, stream or current that's always there. And my practice, this is me. My practice is to constantly remind myself of her presence. And it is a female presence again, a presence mm-hmm. in the body and the mind, and uh, to stay with it. And she appears certainly during the daytime with little or no uh, uh, focus at this point, um, but also appears in the, in the dream state. And uh, she also appears in the middle of my writing of one kind or another. So, you know, it's, it's a natural thing, and uh, everybody is experiencing it in some subtle form. Um, but some people decide, like I did, to stay with it, and, and, and so it, it's more constant and more intense. But it's in everybody, everybody's neural network because it is related to the brain and related to our spinal cord. So it's, it's in everybody. It's just a matter of some of us you know, turn the light on more often than others. That's all. But it's, it's no, it's, it's no, uh, it's not magic. It's a physiological phenomenon. I should say it has a physiological footprint. That's a better way to say it. It has a physiological footprint, but it's not reducible to a physiological phenomenon because it's, it's, um, it's, it's a trans-dimensional phenomenon. Um, that may sound strange to folks, but um, it, it's um, um, another way to think of it is 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 a life current, the life energy. That's another way to think of it. And uh, I don't I don't own it any more than I own life. You don't own it any more than you own life but you can certainly feel the life inside of you. And the life inside of you is very similar to the life inside of the person sitting next to you. And, and you feel that it really it's helped your vitality, you said also, right? Absolutely. Your own health. Absolutely. 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 And when I've been, you know, haven't been feeling physically good, it's still there. So, you know, um, it's uh, she's awake, and she's awake in lots of people. It's just that I, am, I happen to pay attention. That's all. A lot of people, <laughs> you know, are too busy, and they don't pay attention to her. But she's there. She's there. Everybody listening right now. It's just that some of us decide we're going to do this with it, and some of us decide we're not, you know. But it's a choice. Well, it's I, I, a I, I recommend a small investment, but a steady investment. You know, a small investment, yeah. but a steady investment, and it will pay off in ways that nobody can take away from you and um, nobody can disprove. Once you know, you know. I think the hardest yes. part is getting to that knowing Well, um, there are different, you know, again, different ways of knowing. I mean, uh, 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 you you can have a friend um, who's uh, deeply in love with this other person, and you can understand that they are 
in love with this other person, but unless you have been deeply in love with somebody yourself, you don't mm-hmm. really understand what it means to be in love the way that they are in love. It's an intellectual uh, understanding, which is cool, but it is different than a kinesthetic, physical kind of knowing love. And uh, so there are different kinds of knowledge, different kinds of ways of knowing. Some ways of knowing are intellectual and insightful. Some ways are physical. Some ways are um, experiential. There are different ways. There's not just one way to know. And so, you know, you, you, you find a way that, 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 that resonates with you, and, and that becomes your pathway to truth. Everybody's way is different, and we, we want to respect everybody's different ways because, uh, you know, we're different for, for good reasons. But we also, also tread the same ultimate path. Why? Because we all have the same nervous system. We all have the same nervous system. We all have the same ancient ancestry. We all have the same ultimate goals. So we're much, much, much closer to each other than we usually think. And this relationship with Kundalini, I mean, it's the most important relationship we can have because it, it is with ourselves. I like what you said about the commitment to the self. It's really to the superconscious, to that connection that we've right. been misled on for so long. So it's really important to understand how powerful this is, how we've been turned away from it, and it's time to get back in touch with it because we have an opportunity to do so now. And yes, what we better time than now to do it, really? It's so right. important. We're living in a transitional age, you know, the axis age is, is the axis of the age is changing again. And uh the balance of the earth and the and, and our survival on this planet depends on our consciousness shifting. Because if we ca- if we keep doing what we've been doing in the past, we're goners. The earth is gonna continue. <laughs> the earth can well continue without With us. The, oh yeah. The earth doesn't need us. <laughs> yeah, we, the earth doesn't need us. But we need the earth. And uh, we've got to change our ways about polluting it. We're doing it slowly. We're kind, of, we're kind of slow. But we're doing it. We're changing our cars. And we're, you know, a lot of us are still in gross denial about stuff. But over, over time, they will also turn because it's inevitable. We have to. We have to for our own evolutionary survival. So I'm optimistic about it. We're, we're the slower students in the class. But we're, we're, we'll graduate. <laughs> You think so? <laughs> when you say it, it's horrible to know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, help us. It's really, this is a challenge. But, you know, it's also about not letting yourself be interrupted. If you commit to this meditation period, 20 to 30 minutes a day, then you shut your phone off and, and you don't let yourself be interrupted for anything other than a life-threatening event and, that's right. a good way right. to build on the energy and also making That's a statement right. to the universe. This is important to me. This relationship That's right. is That's important to me. That's right. And you're saying that to yourself and you're saying it to the universe. Hey, how many of us piss away half an hour a day on nothing? <laughs> hmm? I think I can raise my hand to that. <laughs> right. 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 You know? 
It's 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 the equivalent it's the equivalent of of uh, being uh, 19, uh, 1975 and someone comes to you and says, you know, there's this new stuff on the market. It's really cheap. It's called Apple stock. I think you ought to buy some. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's going to be a big thing one day. You really should. (laughs) Right. Well, here's our Apple stock opportunity with meditation. So I hope everybody in the audience will take advantage of this. It's been a wonderful evening with you, Dr. Bynum. Thank you so much. That it has. That it has. Well, I've enjoyed being able to come on and talk about dark light consciousness, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Enough people like it. It's a book now, obviously, but it's also an audio book. Oh, you know? it's an audible? Great. So, again, the name of yeah, it is Dark could... Light Consciousness. It's Melanin. Yeah, Dark Light Power. Consciousness. It's an, yeah, it's an audio book. I made it. Uh, it's, it's put out by, uh, 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 God, but one of the major presses. Uh, Harper, not Harper and Rowe. Um, ah, damn, I should remember. But if you just go online, you look up uh, Dark Light Consciousness slash audiobook, then you'll find it. There it is. You'll find it. It's you know cheap, and, and I, I, I narrate it, and uh, you, know, you can listen to it as you're driving down the road on 91 to go from here to there. That sounds perfect. Well, thank you again, Dr. Bynum, and we will be back next week, everybody, with another great show, and we have... Another special guest, Dr. Irina Scott. She has been a UFO researcher for over 30 years. She's joining us next week. Until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.